we begin a new series. We've kind of mentioned this to you already. Hopefully you're aware of this. We're starting a new series on the life of Jesus Christ. And since it's Christmas time, we're starting now at the beginning of the life of Jesus Christ. And we'll carry this through till Easter time, the end of the earthly life of Jesus Christ. And it'll be roughly a chronological thing that we'll be doing. Uh, I'm excited to do this and I trust that you'll be encouraged by it. Uh, part of knowing what it means to, to be a disciple and to make disciples is looking at Jesus Christ and how he called disciples to follow him and what he taught his disciples. But as we begin this series and before we get into the, the really swing of things and the swing of Christmas and everything, I want to think with you uh, and to ask the question, why do we have a, a life of Jesus Christ to study? We're having a study of the life of Jesus Christ. Why is there an earthly life of Jesus Christ for us to, to look at and to read about? Maybe said another way, why did Jesus come? There are a few places in Scripture that specifically answer that question, and there are a couple different answers that are given. Maybe some of these you know or you could, you could quote them. I'll read some of these for you. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not, came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. One of the reasons Jesus came not to be served but to serve, to give his life as a ransom. Again, in Galatians 4, Four and five. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Redemption again. And then adoption is in view here. Another verse, John 3, verse 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. A few verses later, verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Slightly different answer, but still uh, overlapping and connecting to each other. A few verses later, the next chapter, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him, we might have life. And the very next verse, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins the forgiveness for our sins, the, the removal of the wrath that we deserve for our sins. Several of these are specifically stated in Scripture, and you might understand as you read other parts of Scripture, things that are, are developed and other reasons that we, we know that Jesus came. But as we look at this series, we're beginning with the life of Jesus, we want to look at the beginning of John's Gospel, a very well-known place in Scripture, the very well-known introduction to John's Gospel, John chapter 1. We're going to look at that this morning as to, uh, to, to answer the question, why did Jesus come? So if you will read with me along, we're going to begin in verse 1, and we're going to read all the way down to verse 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone 
was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. Sorry, I missed a phrase there. Who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him, and he cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Please pray with me as we consider these words this morning. We thank you for your word, we thank you that it is revelation to us, that it is your knowledge being communicated, it is light to our eyes, and we pray that you would help us to, to see what you want us to see in these words this morning, that we would behold your glory in the person of Jesus Christ, uh, and that, that would change us, and that would help us to go and bear witness of this glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're asking this question, why did Jesus come? Why do we have a life of Jesus to study? Why did Jesus come? This uh, beginning of the book of John is beginning to answer that for us. And it is a, it's not really an introduction. It's, it's more of a, a prologue. If you read fiction books, you, you understand the, the difference between introduction and prologue. Uh, it's, not a, an in, it's not an informational section answering different questions. It's just the beginning of the story. And, and John is already beginning a, a poetic and even a, a dramatic beginning of, of the life of Jesus in these verses before he gets to the actual narrative details down in verse 19. And uh, there's, there's a lot in these verses. One of the commentaries I was looking at said that these verses just explode with meaning. There are so many topics you could, you could look at here. Uh, so I'm, we're not going to do justice to them all in our time this morning. When I was in, in China several years ago, 14 years ago, we were teaching English as a second language to some students there. And we had the opportunity to meet in a, in a coffee shop with some different people from different house churches in, in, the, in the city there in Chengdu. And there were lots of different believers who were there sharing their testimonies, which was really encouraging. Uh, There's also a young man there uh, who was not a believer. His name was James. And in the middle of our fellowship and sharing testimonies, uh, he just stood up and he read some of these verses, the beginning of this chapter. He read the first couple verses, and he said, these are the most beautiful, lang- these are the most beautiful words I've ever read. He said, I don't know what they mean, uh, but I want to. And uh, I trust, surrounded by the Chinese believers there, uh, that maybe he did come to know what they mean. Uh, but many of you do know what they mean. We know the truth of the word becoming flesh. And they should be all that much more amazing uh, and dear to us this morning. 
Maybe one of the things you noticed as we are going through here, there are several different words John used in describing Jesus. Of course, Jesus is in, in view here. This is the, the gospel of Jesus, according to John. He's talking about Jesus. He starts with the, the description of the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And then later on in verse 4, this Word has light. And then he's described in verse 9 as the light. Down in verse 14, he's described as the Son as opposed to the Father. Uh, and then he's finally named there in verse 17, not till verse 17, but he's given the name Jesus. And then in verse 18, he is called God himself, the only God. And this is uh, John building kind of this portrait of, of Jesus in a dramatic fashion. Um, some of these things, uh, we're gonna, Temporarily skip the beginning verses here. The beginning verses speak to who Jesus is and kind of what he did before he came to earth. So we're going to come back to those in a minute. As we look at this question, why did Jesus come? We're going to answer this, a few quick answers to this, and then we're going to dig in a little deeper. So the first one, look with me at verse 4 and 5. Verse 4 and 5, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So it says, in him was life, and this life was light. One of the reasons we read already was that Jesus came to bring life. He had life in him, and it is described as light. But then in verse 9, it's not just that he has life and light. He is light. This light is coming to the world, and then verse 10, it calls him he. He is the light. Light is has come into the world, it shines in the darkness. One of the verses of Okamakami Manual, we didn't sing it, but it was up on the screen when Sarah was playing the offertory, the chorus said, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall by his word our darkness dispel. By his word. So one of the reasons Jesus came was to bring light. That was something that was prophesied 700 years before this in Isaiah. We know Isaiah chapter 9, uh, familiar with that. One of the verses earlier in the chapter, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep, dark, deep darkness, on them a light has shone. This is one of the things that we know and we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus has come to bring light. Second quick one, look with me in verse 11 through 13. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus came to his people, they rejected him, but to those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to what? To become the people of God, to become his people, to become children of God. So he came to gather people to himself. And it wasn't originally the people that he came to that were the ones that he gathered, uh, but the ones after he was rejected, then he gathered those who did believe in him. Uh, and this idea is tied to the next verse, another familiar verse to us in this passage, verse 14, the word became flesh. How did he come to gather people? Part of that was he came to be one of us. He came to be a person with us. He came to share life with us. This is not a, just an abstract idea that Jesus became a person. We will see as we look at the rest of the Gospels, the very human elements of his life. He experienced uh, the beginnings and the ends of life in, in his experience, much like we are as a church. We've welcomed new life into our church body recently. 
And we're also mourning the loss uh, of someone that we hold dear in our church. We just had uh, celebrations, uh, holidays, and we have Thanksgiving in our rearview mirror and Christmas up ahead. Jesus came to participate in those types of things with his people, uh, the celebrations. Um, in the middle of Thanksgiving, maybe some of you like me, uh, on, on Friday, I went to a funeral and a wedding. <laughs> um, Jesus did all of that. He, he came to share in that type of life with us. Now, there's a lot more to it than just that, that Jesus was a human like us. There are lots of deeper implications to his becoming flesh that we won't necessarily get to this morning. Uh, it's an amazing thing. I don't want to pass over it too quickly. The, the amazing reality that God, who we've already read about, the word created everything. By his words, created everything, and then he stepped into that creation. Uh, that's an amazing thing that we can not... Uh, can probably not fully comprehend. But did, 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 you, did you choose to be born as a human? Jesus did. He, he chose to be born one of us uh, for, for many, many deep reasons, but one of them is so that he could come to gather people to himself. All right, one other one here, verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. We have received gifts of grace from Jesus because he has come to earth. Grace upon grace, more than we could ask or imagine. He came to give gifts to us. Now, if you look at that list, doesn't that look like a lot like Christmas? Bringing light, gathering people, giving gifts. Or maybe I should say, doesn't Christmas look a lot like that? That's why we do some of the things that we do at Christmas, because that's why Jesus came. He came to do these things, and we, we remember that, and we celebrate those things by our, our Christmas traditions, or we should. One more reason to answer this question in these verses, why Jesus came. One more fourth reason, and this is really uh, the, the thrust of this passage. Let's look at verse 18. Look here with me. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. One of the reasons Jesus came is because no one has seen God the Father. Uh, and even though Jesus did come, no one has still seen God the Father, but Jesus, the only God who is at his right hand, has made him known. Jesus came to make the Father known, to uh, help us to be able to see him and to know him. And there's this tension here. We, we can't see God, but Jesus has come to make him known. We don't see him, but we, we know him. Uh, there's Jesus in flesh, but we're still not seeing God. It's a tension that is, is really interesting. It's, one of the, it's part of the lyrics of one of the Christmas carols we sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You might remember these words, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. We can see the Godhead even though he's veiled in flesh. We're not seeing God the Father, we're seeing Jesus. Uh, but even though he's, he's veiled in flesh, we are seeing what he wants us to see so that we can know God the Father. And it's not so much that we see with our eyes, because none of us here have actually seen the physical Jesus in human form. That was 2,000 years ago. But he has come so that we can know God the Father, so that we can understand. And as I said, this is really the, the thrust of, I think, this prologue. Uh, 
It's not just one of the four reasons I've put up on the screen, but I think this is the, the dominant idea that John is working with here, that Jesus came to bring us revelation. Why did Jesus come? He came to reveal the Father. So let's go back and kind of look at the rest of these verses with that framework in mind. Let's start back at the very beginning, verse 1. It's Julie Andrews would say it's a very good place to start. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, this is the first description of Jesus, and in Greek the word is logos. You've probably heard a pastor or preacher mention that before. This logos, this word, is intentionally chosen by by John to communicate something about what Jesus is and what he is supposed to be doing. He was with God, he was God, he created all things. But this word carries the idea of revelation itself. It is, it is knowledge, it is revelation that, that God wants to be communicated. It is the word. Uh, Alistair Begg says this logos can be translated as the, the ultimate self-disclosure. Jesus is the logos, he's the ultimate self-disclosure of God. Everything that God wants to disclose, to reveal, is in Jesus Christ. D.A. Carson said we should understand this verse to mean, in the beginning was God's self-expression. God's self-expression is disclosure. What God wants to reveal to his creation is found in Jesus. Because he's not just with God, he is God. He is has the fullness of deity in himself. And this is not just later when he becomes flesh that God deposits everything in him that he wants to show to his creation and therefore he is the Logos. No, this is, when, when do we see the Logos? In the beginning. In the beginning he was with God and he was God. From the beginning, Jesus is fully God and he is fully everything that God wants to reveal to all of his creation. From the beginning, God has determined to reveal himself to creation. And from the beginning, we have needed God's revelation. We have been created to receive God's revelation. In Genesis 1, there's a, there's a distinction between all the other created beings and, and people. And one of the distinctions is, is that we can receive revelation. It says that God created man... And the very next verse, I'm sorry, God created man in his own image and God blessed them and God said to them. He opened up his mouth and spoke to man. No other creation did God speak to and they received his revelation. God said to them and it was called a blessing. They were created to receive his revelation. We understand that creation itself reveals things to us in in Romans chapter 1. What can be known about God is plain to them, to us, because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived. We can know these things ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. God, even through his creation, has spoken to us and revealed who he is. Unfortunately, we, like Adam and Eve, have rejected the revelation that we received. We have have discarded it and ignored it and and said, no, that's not really true. And so we are without excuse. 
We read also in Hebrews chapter 1 how over time, from the time that Adam and Eve received the first revelation and God created things that teach us who he is, God has progressively revealed himself. We read in Hebrews chapter 1, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. All the different Old Testament books are God speaking to his people and to us still. Um, but then we read in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And this is where John inserts himself into the story. This is the word becoming flesh. He is now speaking to us by his son. But this is the idea that John starts off with, that Jesus is the word. Jesus is revelation. Jesus is what we need to know about God. And these other reasons that we already looked at, the other three in our short, quick list, they're all connected to that. They're all tied to this idea of revelation. So let's go back over those. Back here, uh, we talked about Jesus came to bring light. Bringing light is a, is a euphemism. It's a description of revelation. There is now light in the darkness. Jesus is, has come to make things known that weren't known before. It is revelation. Light is uh, revealing. It gives knowledge. You understand that if you are a, a young child or if you have young children and you want a, a night light, right? The, the light isn't just there to be light. It also communicates. It, it helps you to see things that you otherwise wouldn't know. It helps you to see there is not a monster right next to my bed because you can see it with that light. Light brings knowledge. Light is revelation. Also, we looked at this one, the give gifts. We're going to skip over the second one there for a minute. The giving of gifts is part of Revelation 2. Um, the, the gift of grace, there's a lot that's bound up in that. We're, we're told in Ephesians 1 that we are given every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. But one of the things that that does mean is that we are given the grace to receive revelation. When we rejected, all of us rejected God's revelation in our hearts, in our sin before Christ, or maybe where you're still at, we have rejected his word and we've been unable to receive his revelation the way that we should. We can't understand truth. So the Spirit helps us to understand the things uh, that God wants to reveal to us, and that's one of God's good graces. One of the, the grace upon grace that he gives us is that we can receive, we can see the revelation that God wants us to know in Jesus Christ. This other one on the list here, to gather people. We're going to chew on this one for a little bit. Uh, this is specifically tied to the idea of revelation, I believe, and to, to really look at that, if you will, with me Turn all the way back to Exodus 33. We're going to spend some time um, looking outside of John 1 to give us a different angle of looking at this. Exodus 33. Exodus 33 finds us in the story of Israel after they've been freed from Egypt, after they've had the Exodus, they've been delivered, and they're receiving the law. And Moses is up on Mount Sinai. Uh, you can look with me in verse 18. Moses is receiving the law. They're discussing many different things. And one of the things that Moses says in verse 18 is, please show me your glory. 
Now, they'd just gone through the Exodus. They'd gone through miracles. They'd gone through amazing things. God speaking directly to Moses. Uh, and still Moses asked, please show me your glory. Now, it's interesting to, to understand how God responds to that. He, he says, yes, I will do that. But how does he do that? He describes, he will look down there in verse uh, 21 or 22. There's a place by where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will, will cover you. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand. You can't see me. You're going to be able to see the afterglow of me, but you can't see me, so he's going to, to cover Moses. Uh, but not just how he displays his glory here with the, the afterglow when he covers him, but look down with me in verse, chapter 34, rather, in verse 6. The Lord passed before him. What he said he was going to do. He said he was going to pass by him and cover him so he could see the afterglow of his glory. He passed by him, but he didn't stay at that. What did he do? The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. He opened his mouth again. He communicated. He revealed to Moses. And he said, The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for a thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Part of God showing his glory to Moses was not just this light show, even though it was that, and Moses was changed physically from that. It was God communicating, revealing more of who he was. God spoke to Moses before the Exodus, and then he delivered his people, and then he tells more of who he is. He shows his people more of who he is, and they understand now better who their God is because he has delivered them, and they see he is a God who's merciful and he's gracious. He's full of abounding, he's abounding in love and steadfastness. So there's this progression of things happening. We'll map it out here in Exodus 33 and 34. We also will see it in John 1. God reveals himself before the Exodus, that he redeems them. God reveals again more and the people understand that revelation better. And then what happens? God creates revelation receivers. He created them. He, he called them out of Egypt, not just so they could be free and then go make their own way and make, make their own way in life, make their own people group or whatever. No, he called them to be his people and people who would continue to behold his glory, continue to seek him and see who he is, receive revelation from them. All right, go back with me to John chapter 1. Let's follow this same progression. God reveals himself. The word became flesh. And as we read in Hebrews 1, he revealed himself many times in very many ways before that. But the word became flesh, and we have seen his glory, verse 14, full of grace and truth. Now, these words are interesting, full of grace and truth. These are the same words that God spoke to Moses in Ezekiel chapter 34 that we just read. Steadfast love, abounding in steadfast love. That Hebrew word is translated grace in Greek in the New Testament. And faithfulness, faithfulness, that Hebrew word is translated truth. If you have an NASB or a King James, your, your Bible in front of you has the word truth instead of faithfulness. God in Exodus is saying, I am full of grace and truth. And then we look in John chapter 1. We have seen the glory of the word becoming flesh. He is full of grace and truth. So God has revealed himself. 
Um, I think one of the things also that John is specifically speaking to in beholding the glory of God full of grace and truth is his experience getting to be on what we call the, the Mount of Transfiguration. He, he saw the windows being pulled back a little bit or the shades being pulled back and God's glory in Jesus Christ on that mountain for a temporary time. We also see the glory of, of Jesus living a perfect life. God was revealing who he was in the fact that him being flesh led a perfect life. He obeyed all the laws. He never sinned. Uh, that is part of beholding his glory. But then we get to the, the most important part. If, if Jesus did all that, that would be great, but that's not the most important part of, of Jesus' life. We get to the part where God delivers and he redeems his people. And right before he does that, in John chapter 13, we read, this is John chapter 13, the beginning of the conversation with his disciples around the, the Last Supper. Jesus, uh, he just said goodbye to, La uh, not Lazarus, but to uh, Judas as he's going out to betray him. In John chapter 13, verse 31, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. He came full of grace and truth. John was one of the ones that saw him in his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then a few days later, a few weeks later, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. What you've seen of me, my perfect life up till now, if you saw the Mount of Transfiguration, you've seen some of my glory, you've seen some of me revealing myself to you, but now, as I go to the cross, this is me being glorified. This is when you will see me in my, in my glory. This is the center of God's revelation to us. The Word became flesh to reveal many things, and the pinnacle of this is the cross. And we're not saying that that's just because that's when God was at his best. This is when we see God most clearly. The cross is the, the clearest revelation that God wants to show to us. In the cross, we see perfect love and, and perfect justice at the same time. We see those elements in other places in time. But in the cross, we see the fullest expression of those things. We see the fullest expressions of, of God's patience, of God's submission to his Father, Jesus' submission to his Father. We see the clearest picture of God working good out of evil in the cross. So the cross is the pinnacle of what God came to show to us. It's the centerpiece and then after that, God continues to reveal himself. He, he appeared again to his disciples. Uh, and then we have the rest of God's word. I could talk more a lot about uh, the, the primacy of the word, if, if Jesus is, is the word. But the word has recorded everything that Jesus wanted us to know. We didn't get to see Jesus with our eyes. But everything after Jesus left earth was recorded, was explained, so that we have everything that we need to know. And it's even a more sure source of truth for us than if we had seen Jesus with our own eyes. And now we understand Revelation better. We understand Revelation because we've seen the best picture of Revelation in the cross, but the cross has also made us able to understand anything. If we were in darkness before, the cross has brought light so that we can understand this Revelation. And he has then created us to be a people that continue to see him, to continue to behold his glory, to continue to receive his revelation. 
I read a couple different books and I, I tried to find where I got this memory, and I'm sorry, I can't give you a, can't give you a source. Uh, I'm somewhat notorious for that sometimes. Uh, but I have read in, in some survival situations when, when people are severely dehydrated, uh, they've gone days without water, they're severely dehydrated, and then they get to a place where they have access to water. Uh, their, their tendency is to just uh, binge on the water, to just engorge themselves with water, but that's not healthy for them. So smart survival scenarios, uh, people, survival specialists will give someone who is suffering from severe de dehydration just a little bit of water. Uh, their system is so starved that getting just a little bit of water will reactivate their system. And maybe you've heard this similar uh, with uh, survivors of, of starvation, like they found in the concentration camps in the Holocaust after World War II. Uh, those who had not had a lot of food all of a sudden had access to food, but they could only handle just a little bit of bread at a time until they worked their, their way back up. But uh, the idea here is that um, in our darkness, in our starvation for truth and light, God gives us truth. Jesus came and, and we beheld his glory. And if we respond to that in faith, that is like that little bit of water and it wakes up our system. It doesn't just save us so that we're saved. It wakes us up to be what we are created to be. And one of the things we were created to be is revelation receivers, people who behold his glory. So responding to the little bit of God's glory that we saw before any of us were ever saved, just a little bit, a small dose, but it has made us a people of, uh, pe people who continue to behold his glory. This is the big picture of the gospel, not just that our sins were forgiven, not just that we'll go to heaven when we die, but that we are now able to be what we were created to be. One of my favorite bands has this little phrase in one of their songs, we are born to shine and to behold. Not just to shine and reflect God's glory, but to continue to behold it ourselves. From now and forever into eternity. So answering this question, why did Jesus come to bring us revelation, asks us one more question. So what do we do with that? What do we do? First, simply, we behold his glory. Sorry, these are out of order. The second one there, we behold his glory. We continue to behold his glory. We have need for revelation. We have need for his glory in our lives. Those are the, the same ideas. I think hopefully you've gotten that as I've talked about it. Beholding his glory, receiving his revelation. It's not just information about how to live our lives, but who God is. In Scripture, we're told to fix our eyes on one thing, to fix our eyes on Jesus, behold his glory. In Scripture, we're told to set our minds on one thing, things above, where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. We are to gaze at Jesus, behold his glory. We see Jesus and we see the gospel, the center of Jesus' revelation. We see most clearly what God wants to reveal to us. For some of you, you may have been ignoring God's glory in your life. You may have rejected God revealing himself to you. 
The call is for you, maybe for the first time, behold his glory and respond to that in faith. This is one of the reasons why John wrote these words. We read the end of his book, John chapter 20. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Whether you've yet to do that or whether you are saved and you have beheld God's glory, it continues to be what is worth our attention, beholding God in his glory, receiving revelation from him. It's, it's more valuable than anything else you will do with your time. Anything else you would give your attention to. It's more valuable than anything that's on Disney+. Plus. It's more, worth more of your time than anything that you would do with your grandkids. Any must-see TV event, and any page-turner that's on your shelf. It's worth more of your time and energy than any dream of yours coming to reality. So, every day, first thing if possible, multiple times a day, set your eyes on Jesus. Behold his glory in his word. It's Christmas time. We have special opportunities to do that. Setting your eyes on Jesus, beholding his glory, is, is worth more than a next, another cookie walk that you could go to or another day of shopping. And maybe not even at Christmas, but other times, the other mundane parts of our life. When you see a sunrise, when you have a good conversation with a friend, when you have a good meal, these are times to behold part of God's glory. Secondly, we become, sorry, these are out of order there, the first one on your screen there, we become sons of God. If we respond in faith to seeing God's glory in our lives, he gives us the right to become children of God. And that's not just a one-time thing, that is something that we continue to do. We will become what we behold. If we behold Jesus in his glory repeatedly, we're told in John 3, 1 John 3 rather, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We will be sons of God and we will be like him, co-heirs with Christ. We will be like this other son of God. We will be more and more like him. God describes Jesus here as, as the word, the word. And it's the word that when spoken at the beginning of time created everything we read that God's word will not return void. It has a power to accomplish what it has set out to do. And it, if it is set out for you to be changed when you behold his glory, you will be changed. You will become what you were created to be. You'll become more and more a son of God. And lastly, we should bear witness to this. I think this picture is really, when we say glorifying God, we say God being glorified in us. This is what this means, God being made known. We behold him, and so we see him better for who he is. And then we become like him. And then we go and bear witness to someone else. We are glorifying God by making him known to someone else. John the Baptist, verse 6 and 7, you notice we kind of skipped those. Uh, Pastor Matt's going to be talking about John the Baptist more next week. Uh, but if you look, with, you look in verse 15, it talks about John the Baptist bearing witness about him. He cried out, he is before me. He 
says later, I must decrease because he must increase. We make him known to others. At Christmas time, we have a special opportunity to do that. But every day of our lives, we have opportunity and the responsibility to behold his glory and to bear witness about that to others. Our last song, we're going to do that. We're going to sing about the, the glory that we behold in Christ becoming flesh. As we sing it, we have opportunity to bear witness about that to each other. Let's be ready for that, but let's also be prepared to go and do this as we leave this place, to bear witness about God's glory. Let's pray. Now, we do thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. You've made your glory clear in the person of Jesus Christ and specifically in the cross of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would help us to behold that more and more, and we become like you, and that we would go and bear witness of these truths to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.